Dropout Podcasts. Hello and welcome back to Adventuring Academy. My name is Brennan Lee Mulligan. I am so delighted to have today the cast of Escape from the Blood Key. Please welcome Ify Wadiwe, Eric Ishii, and Amy Borbo. Hey, hey, yeah. Hello, vile villains. Hello, vile villains. Uh, guys, um, uh, Regardless of anything else going on, first thing I have to say is spoilers ahead. This yeah. is going to be a recap, fun celebration episode. Now that Escape from the Blood Keep has officially had its grand finale. Uh, oh, but also, yeah. Yeah! Um, uh, uh, so we're so excited to have you guys back. Uh, Marcus, Lilith, and Effink here. Um, uh, and we're going to spend today uh, uh, both talking about uh, some fun we had uh, making Escape from the Blood Keep, answering some audience questions about Escape from the Blood Keep, but also, I think, talking about what Adventuring Academy is about in general, uh, which is uh, cool tips and tricks for uh, enhancing your tabletop role playing game at home. Uh, how are you guys doing today? Oh, so good. Yeah, so yeah good. super good. Be back with the, the gang, and it is just half of the cast. It's not the full cast. It's not the full cast. We don't have enough chairs and microphones. <laughs> uh. oh. <laughs> and so we got we got I picked. Know, we got you guys got picked. Uh, uh, no, we uh, we we may try to snag our lovely friends Reka, Trap, and Matt uh, at some point in the future, and maybe if we figure out a way to get maybe like a I don't know some bleachers. I, just, I do love <laughs> that you were like we've got the cast of Blood Cave, and in my head like my narcissism was like yeah that's right we are the cast. <laughs> but but what's true is no. There were three very valuable other people. You're the person wearing a tiara right now. This is my epic tiara for the occasion. We do have we do have the cast. We don't have the full cast. But we yeah. do have the cast of Escape from the Blood Keys here. Um, uh, well, shucks, guys. Uh, this is so fun. The uh, the episodes have been coming out week after week. We have some episodes up on YouTube right now as well. Uh, it's wild to me to think this is the fastest turnaround any season of Dimension 20 has had from idea execution to release ever, which is like, we started planning this, I think, in January. We had our character creation in January. Um, this was shot in February and re started releasing. Yeah, because I remember getting the email over, like, very, really close to January 1st. Like, definitely, I was still on vacation. And it was like, <laughs> were y'all working? Like, yeah. <laughs> y'all are still doing stuff? The answer is yes. Oh, like, <laughs> always. I routinely get responses to be like, hey, Brandon, here's the answer to your question. You sent this email at 3.30 in the morning. Are you doing good? <laughs> <laughs> the freelance life. Yeah. Uh, uh, so that's very, very fun. Um, shooting this, we shot this two days in a row, back to back on a weekend, Saturday and Sunday. It was a... It was, I think, I think like uh, it was not what I would call a slog. Everyone had to shoot as a, a slog. gauntlet. It was, it was a gauntlet. A oh, no, seriously, yeah. I'm really excited to talk about it now and to see all the episodes coming out because that whole weekend was kind of a blur. We yeah. just kind of gotten yeah. back from Prague. Oh yeah, it was a whirlwind. Oh, yeah. yeah, a whirlwind. <laughs> and you know, I'd, I'd gotten over being sick, and then I was like so in my head about working with these people who professionally funny and professionally tabletop. 
and it was it was I had the biggest imposter syndrome and so through that whole weekend I was like I have no idea what I did I went into this fugue state and I'm pretty it was fun I think yeah. uh, so now watching it I'm like wow we really made a show <laughs> we absolutely did um, uh, yeah it was it was wild. we had our cast cohesion day so we do a session zero um, which I recommend doing especially if you're gonna have cameras rolling yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so we had a little session zero no cameras rolling there just us playing the characters getting a feel for them uh, we actually that session zero was a short little battle adventure mm -hmm. in Karadkar which is where you guys discovered Avanash and where Jessa and Jason were like wow the woods uh, in this season um, it was like little battle there several oh I remember it was a party in the blood keep and then we had like yes. a flickering memory display of your guys victory and the reforging it was sort of like yeah, a we were like looking into the into the the pool of memories and stuff oh, and we're yeah. like oh man yeah I remember that that unicorn coming out like, yeah yeah that was so funny <laughs> but yeah it set up some stuff for that and it really helped us get a feel for our characters oh, yeah. but then actually I kind of wanted to touch on before that when we created our characters Characters, mm -hmm. You sat us down at the table and we were all like messing around because we're all friends. And then you started playing this epic music and doing the setup that you do at the oh, beginning yeah. oh, of yeah. the campaign and just set the world and told us what it was. And we, and we came up with our characters on the spot there because of that, just because you just painted this world so well. And oh, yeah. so the, the, it's really kind of important to touch on this, actually, I think, because you built the world around our characters, which were built around your world and all of it was sort of inextricably entwined very early on in the planning stages. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I know. I, I do want to kind of plus one that by talking about because I've uh, so like my D and D experience. Like if I look at the grandscape of thing, most of it has been on camera. I've done a few games, you know, outside of that because I came into D and D. I think uh, I said this in one of the BTS videos that uh, may or may not come. I don't know, but I play. I it took me a while to get into D and D because like you know I. I went to Catholic school in Compton, California growing up, and I, I'll always remember this list of things that had to do with the devil that we couldn't Forbidden do. Forbidden uh, activities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. D&D was on there, but also K-Rock was on there, which if you don't know, <laughs> is a local like uh, rock station <laughs> like that, uh, that basically plays the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> yeah. That is the devil's music. Yeah. So, so like, I always kind of like like had this like weird thing also I like I didn't have that many like nerdy friends and you know there's it's so funny because when we're at this stage in the world now like I was at the bar with some uh, I met someone at a bar and I was like oh yeah I'm a nerd and they were like what type of nerd because there is yeah. like so many elements and I never found like a and d crew in high school like the nerds and and my uh, high school was uh, like TCG nerds. So we were playing Yu-Gi-Oh! And then uh, I started after getting my like ass handed to me a few times, I discovered Magic the Gathering and I was the guy who knew magic who brought school and I was destroying everyone because I was the I was essentially teaching everyone. If he taught me magic. Uh, yeah. We had a show where he taught me magic. Yeah. And as and as it reaches its like greatest popularity, I'm nowhere to be found. <laughs> <laughs> doing so. But uh 
but yeah, those were and zip zaps. Like I had like the Tinkerer. Like we had lots of weaves, but we never had like a D and D crew. And it wasn't until uh, surprise, surprise, I joined an indie improv group uh, called Cherry Spits uh, in Orange County, <laughs> and they were like, "Let's play some D and D." And I had my first match, and I was like, "Oh, this is just like the MMOs I play, you know?" But it's like live on paper, and so that was there. Then like Rip. Meltdown used to have a yeah. uh, used to used to run the one run by Cole and Dylan Sprouse. Uh, Wait, what? They ran the they ran the meltdown. Was, was that when Satine was doing was uh, jamming there? Uh, pro- I don't I I don't That's know, funny. but I don't think so. But I I went there because I was like, oh shit, it's Zach and Cody. I'm gonna play D and D with them, and they were like very strict. You couldn't talk about Zach and Cody. Like they they're like we're here to play, and so it was. Crazy because that's when I really kind of started getting a taste of the culture of D and D. Mostly because I had you know my game like I've always been fine with like coming up with beginners like I and I was planning on rolling a new character. But there's a guy who came like with a briefcase in his own bag and like he's sitting there while like you, you should have been like you know sir this all happens in your imagination oh, right? Oh he was, he was like <laughs> so serious and like they the kind of like Proctor and who the would be DM was kind of like coaching a lot of new players and goes, oh, I thought this was an advanced uh, play. No. No. Good. Honestly, good. Yeah, it was so funny because it was a thing where like he kind of looked down on us, but like I was looking, I was like, oh no, I know how to play and I probably play better than you. You know, but so then, you know, through Geek and Sundry and all that, then like most, almost all my sessions, except for one, we had an improv group session go and that was off camera, but all my other ones were uh, on camera, but this long roundabout tangent goes to say (laughs) that like uh, going through different sessions, I really tell the difference when the DM is into it and doing voices. Like it seems so silly. Like I remember thinking about like, uh, because you know, at the time when we started doing our improv session like I think I was aware of Critical Role and they kind of blew my mind because everyone's into it like I was used to like my play sessions before that was kind of just very matter of fact a little metagamey you know and then that was the first time I've seen someone really live in these characters so obviously you get a group of like improvisers at UCB doing a session and it's hard not to you go into characters too like it really is like Mm. I remember and I think in this uh, D&D subreddit, someone was asking about doing voices and like, is that too much? It was like, no, like you're, if you're with a good party, they're going to, yes, and you. Like if you start doing voices, they're going to do the voices and it really yeah. does enhance the The gameplay. voices started coming out in that first like pre-session zero oh, yeah. where we were all like coming up with character concepts. Oh, I think it's so important for exactly that reason to like, because some of this stuff is about comfortability, right? And I think having a session zero where it's like, oh, we're kind of doing a soft start to the game. We're like finding our voices. I wait, I love it. Soft start. When you when the session zero you ran, it was like, and then there's a there's a Pegasus, and then also like every every turn, five new things would come oh, out yeah. for us to fight, and you just yeah. So it was a yeah. Soft a, is relative. 
<laughs> it was immediately vicious and a hellscape. <laughs> but also, but also the banter too, like the oh, yes. RP of it was so like I remember Zoners of the Dark Lord being like, oh, like how hard could pregnancy be? It's yeah. like easy. You know? I, mean, I can do that. Yeah, that's yeah, fine. Uh, but also, it was very the banter was right away. Also, Matt established his character as this like. Like fail Nazgul right out of the gate, even yes. in session zero. He oh had a yeah, whole thing. We, I don't know where the 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 game came from of like us not noticing when Leland did cool things. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was session was zero. Session zero. Yeah. He was, even before the camera started rolling, it's also so funny because now that the very final episode has come out, the. I'm always amazed at how incredible the dice are as collaborators because Matt rolling such terrible rolls for the first couple sessions, like hitting these incredible oh, yeah. nat ones. Nat one on his first death save after falling out of the sky. Oh my God. Which perfectly maps to his character's struggle with like depression up until he, the final battle, where all of a sudden Leland turns around and wrecks house yes. with that cone of cold, yeah. that teleportation. Yes. Oh yeah. Uh, I also want to, it's like incredible how the dice confirm that piece of storytelling. Uh, also, talking about like new players and people trying to gatekeep, like, oh, this was an advanced game. Reka and Trap, because oh we, you guys all, we've all thrown down a ton. Yeah. Reka and Trap had so Trap had played D and D once or twice before. Reka, that was truly her first time playing, and they were unbelievable. Oh yeah. The the one of my favorite moments. Is, or, I mean, it happened a few times where she was just very coyly like, "Should I be?" Awesome, yeah, yeah. and all of us are like, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, this is dumb. This is really, yeah, this really is dumb. dumb. But should I really wreck but everybody? Like, yeah, her with the, with the balloon elf moving the volcano. Oh my gosh! Or dream it. trap going like, I'm sure this is going to be a waste yeah. of a turn. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. So I, I was uh, telling Brennan after this, it was like the whole time I knew I was like, you gotta, you gotta talk to that lava. You gotta, you gotta see what's going on <laughs> yeah. in there. Like he, he planted that seed yeah. earlier in the story so but good. like it's so funny that thing and uh when you're RPing is like yeah if he the listener to everything knows this Marcus has no clue about that conversation oh, yeah. uh. so like and in my head I was like well I'm not gonna break this world to try and like hint it I just trust in your team and sure enough like it's it that's the fun thing and it's funny in the sense that like yeah, I, I kept forgetting that they were newer players because, like, that is, like, such a, like, vet move of, like, oh, you, oh, oh, there's a monster in the volcano that y'all, you were just talking about yeah. earlier? Well, okay, I'm going to talk to the volcano. It comes from their, their training in, in improv yeah. and sketches that, like, being able to listen well and yeah. react to situations immediately and make strong choices, which is what they did so, so well, like, Trap had this point of view and he stuck to it the oh, entire yeah. time and like everything he did sort of slotted into that and then Reka is like strong decisions like like the decision the Leland baby yeah. Like oh. move was mm. the, one of the strongest role playing moves I've ever seen, and that comes from her background in you know comedy and improv. Which I think brings us to the first thing I want to talk with you guys about today, which is we're, uh, oh we're only at the we're at the first thing we're now. the first thing <laughs> like fifteen minutes in. Um, no, but it's before we get to audience questions, I want to talk about something that I would love to go around once real quick because um, for our players at home, I have many times talking to other 
dungeon masters and game masters and storytellers on this podcast talked about the things that storytellers can do. And one of the things that keeps coming up is this idea of there's so little you can do as a storyteller if your PCs aren't um, deputizing themselves and giving themselves the authority to take huge swings and make giant story choices. And what is across the board true for everybody here on the podcast today, and in fact all of the Bloodkeep cast, our other three friends that are not here, is everybody perfectly hit the bullseye of taking huge story swings uh, while completely supporting the larger narrative and everything going on with every other character. So let's go around and talk for a second. I'll give my audience submitted question first, which is, I mean, like, I won't even pick for you guys, but just off the top of my head, like uh, inducting John Feathers into the crew, your final move of making Olog like tied to the room, fucking saying like, we're not gonna have a Dark Lord, we're gonna have like evil democracy, uh, <laughs> looking and making yourself the fucking boatman in the last battle. These are not only moves that were incredible to do, they were insane to often do in combat, or they also completely changed the narrative structure of the world. These were world-shaking moves. So if we want to go down and talk a little bit, like looking at back at the moves you guys made, what does it feel like for our people watching at home? Is it daunting to grant yourself that amount of narrative authority as a PC? Where do you have to get to on a creative level where you're like, hey, I know that I'm a protagonist and that the DM is in control of the world. This is my moment to change the world. I, I want to jump in before we talk, uh, sorry, before we talk about character moments, um, I want to talk about the DMing since this is Adventuring Academy. One of the things I think that's important when you plan a battle out is there needs to be a modicum of teamwork in your planning. So so it can't just be one thing, kill this guy. There's got to be this, this like basically opportunities set up for like three or four different things. And maybe this thing takes two people. And like the, we had to address each of the statues and that kind of took everybody. But then there was also kill everybody. You know, like there were, there was a bunch going on, um, the room falling apart. Everything could, everything had a moment to be, the, the boatman, there, there was, there were just opportunities for everybody to play as a team, like in an escape room, but to each do their own thing and contribute their own uh, thing. So that was expertly set up. And I, I, I really think everyone should go and watch episode six to see how to build a really compelling yeah. group adventure. I mean, I mean, I really want to talk about that because I think one of the biggest questions I've gotten in the Discord was like, what made you like talk to the eagle? Like, why did you like talk to the <laughs> eagle? And that's kind of always been my my first like D and D one hundred and one lesson that kind of taught me everything I need to know about D and D was uh, I was in there was a fight going on outside of this room and there was a door in front of me and I kept attacking the door and rolling poorly so I could not kick this door down and then another character walk up and said uh, is is the door locked and it was like like roll perception it is not locked and they walk through and that's and that was all i needed to know which is the sense of like try everything if something isn't working and so like Marcus was getting his ass kicked in that moment, and that was real hard for me because I play—I usually play like a barbarian or a paladin, like someone who can deal and take a lot of damage. This is my first time playing something like a rogue who's essentially squishy, and you have to kind of use cunning and, uh, you know, um, specifically I should have been using the fog of war more to move around. So like I'm 
hanging on by a thread and I was like, okay, this isn't working. What else can I do? And the moment I realized the Eagles were sentient and also as a rogue, I have high charisma. Let's try and get this out of RP. And that's always just been fun to me is just like, what are ways to win battles out of RP? And so that takes me back to the general idea of what you're saying, more to just kill people. I think, mm. you know, the biggest tip I have for any DMs is something that luckily a lot of my DMs have doing have done is like if there is a battle it shouldn't be like the only way out of the battle is to kill these people use the stakes that have led to that battle because then you lead to those rp opportunities like if mm -hmm. these men are attacking us because they believe that we have stolen something from a a the throne and they hired mercenaries then that's some good information because well if there are mercenaries mercenaries can be bought or is there something that they're aligned to that shares something with the players so that if you know if you can find a way to do it or like if you, my favorite thing too is like if the dm hasn't they've planned out the battle but hasn't really considered everything a, a players can do like we ac we accidentally in one uh encounter had our like druid like one shot the the whole match because the way he presented the enemies, he did the like spiking thorns or whatever, and the enemies, he was trying to like run us down with a whole bunch of enemies, but to balance it out made them weak. So moving through the thorns just auto-killed anyone. <laughs> so, Great. And well, that was the first battle. I mean, like, I, in my head, every battle I was like, well, it's gotta be epic. We're doing like, yeah. we're doing like Mordor, like the fall of the Sauron. Like, it's gotta be, you know, it's like Mount, so we have like the scary volcano is the first one. Yeah, we then immediately we, meet freaking the Gandalf equivalent. Oh, immediately. Yeah, immediately. <laughs> Gandalf, El and then this was yes. Lilith using, I think, like a second level spell? It was a bonus action. Yeah, it was a bonus action, and I killed him. You killed Elrond with a bonus action. I word Caldera. <laughs> it was a big moment for all of us. Uh, but it's, it's wild because, because I think, to your point, uh, to, to both of your points, I think the best thing you can do as a DM is um, make... And I'll, I'll say that this is true on a larger scale of like campaigns, if you want to get really big and kind of epic with it, but also down to your encounters themselves. Make a situation, make an ecosystem uh, uh, that is so vibrant and multifaceted that um, you have the capacity, even as the DM, to be surprised by what your players will do. And it's not thinking about it like a puzzle, because to me a puzzle is something that has a correct solution. Rather, it's thinking about like a playground. You're thinking about like, okay, there's lava, there's these big tall things, the bridges are rickety, there's a lava mog that can get summoned. Now this might sound like it can get overly complex, but the trick is to just make it intuitive. Like a thing can be complex if, from a bird's eye view, it still all kind of is intuitively making sense. Like, yeah, it's a big chaotic fight in a volcano, because the trick is you are leaving open these, like I will often make combats uh, for my players that I trust that I go like, yeah, I don't know how they're gonna get out of that because they will surprise you. And then it's incumbent on, it's not like, because I think that you get into trouble when you're like, okay, there's definitely a way for them to get out of this, and it's this. Yeah. Because then they're not gonna figure that thing out, you're gonna kill them all, and it's gonna be really sad and frustrating. Better to go, here's a very complex, fluid, dynamic battlefield. It's, it's bad television or film writing, because you are writing 
everybody into a corner and then you're like you do it <laughs> you get out of the fucking corner <laughs> in some ways like that's what you do if you have like a show that's on rails or something because it's yes, like there's yes, like a point A true. and a point B and they have to get there yeah. but that's not how people work in real life they no, need an no. ecosystem to explore and figure out yeah and for me it's the thing of like okay I know that the siren that I know that having like an airship battle over a volcano is incredibly dangerous it's not my job to make your life easy yeah. I have to trust that six brilliant improvisers and role players with high level characters are going to figure some shit out but then it's incumbent on me to be able to roll with that mm-hmm. yeah. and let you be creative but and then also you trusted us to do that too mm-hmm. which is like coming back to sort of that original question question that you asked was that how do you <laughs> we're not going to answer by the way we, thank yeah. you everyone for submitting questions we have our own agenda I hear your question and I'm going to talk about something completely different but it is actually very related in, yes. in the way that like how do you balance sort of like solving a problem and you know and then what's good for the campaign because we talked about like in, in my episode of Adventuring Academy like how do you reconcile like what's doing what's right for your character with what's good for the story and I think in the end especially for live streams you have to have the story the overarching story in mind so every single move that everybody made was like something very in character like Marcus being charming and you mm-hmm. know smooth talking and making contract with the eagle or like the boatman like her that was mm-hmm. such an incredible like in character arc it was the end of her arc of her realizing who she was meant to be right. um, or Lilith you know like seizing power like which is something that she spent millennia sort of wanting but yeah. on, I in will these say terms, Lilith like my Lilith moment too was uh, sending her kids away before the final battle and then her <laughs> kid like it was just such a of course of course as a mother you're like get GTFO everyone's gonna die and and then yeah and then Brendan tearing up because oh my god uh, I can't believe I cell phoned mm-hmm. I can't believe <laughs> well wait so here everyone knows that my goal is actually a meme going around of you of, of me and Amy talking the thing in our Adventure Academy episode where you were like the goal is to make your players like uh, feel strong emotions and I'm like specifically cry for me. I want to make my players cry <laughs> so I was trying to get Erica and then Erica got me like I yeah. she was like you all need to go and I was like oh I'm gonna like get I'm gonna have her kids do this really tearful thing and everyone's got their own buttons and for me the, the idea of like family and being and and someone trying to be alone and other people not letting them just fucked me right up of like <laughs> of like no you're not alone we're going to do this together it fucked me right up I, especially because it was like the sort of cynical bratty teenager one yeah. who showed his little squishy heart in that moment yeah. he's had such an arc in the beginning he was such a jerk he was such a jerk in the beginning <laughs> But to, to to look at that another way, it is like, yeah, I think that everyone had a... So, a, a, so everybody yeah. had something like within their character, like very much like uh, like the forward motion of their story, but then everybody is also thinking like, how does this help the overarching narrative? How does this fit into Brennan's world? I mean, and that's just the most important thing that you have to remember. And to me, looking at it like all of the individual character moments that were these big... And I want to, do want to get back to that question of like, what does it feel like and what does it look like to take big swings? Because mm-hmm. the way you guys all supported each other meant that everyone's big swings were so honored and respected. So let's, if we have a listener at home who's maybe like in a campaign, maybe they're not that experienced, maybe they're worried that their dungeon master's not that experienced and they don't want to like step on their toes. What's advice you could give or just like sharing your inner landscape in these 
John Feathers seizing yeah. power, seizing the, the the crown of Gorgar, becoming the boatman. What's going through your head at that moment? So my 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 one rule whenever I play D and D with anyone is I'm gonna do anything the DM lets me get away with. So <laughs> I'm going to leave it to the DM because I do. I, I think that is a common thing I see with newer players is they don't want to break the rules. And it's because in gaming, there's so many rules. And especially like, you know, if you're on the Go Gaia forums, you know, you had to deal with a lot of people like power, you know, power RPing and making. The, but like you, as long as you stay within your the realm of your characters, like, you know, I'm not going to do something like Marcus uh, flirts with, uh, uh, with Lilith and then she falls in love with me like that yeah. is overstepping <laughs> like I can attempt to flirt and do all these things that Marcus can do and let the dice and Lilith decide on how they receive that mm-hmm. and so that's kind missed of missed opportunity you know lots of missed opportunities I missed you shipping me and Leland you know it's the like, two biggest ships in the that, discord right now yeah. are Marcus Leland yeah. and Effing Soakbar yeah. I know oh, no, I've also yeah. seen Effing I think Lilith is Soak Bar Lilith. It's like it's like Bestie's ship, and then it's like Monster Parent ship, and yeah. then it's like the 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 Marcus uh, uh, the Marcus Leland ship is there. Very it's like, it was, yeah, it was it's so like, funny. The guy who likes the asshole. Yeah. Everyone was was talking about that, and it's and this is a good like kind of RP moment. But there's there's so much information within that that like I that, like I was gonna play into that and like build this thing, you know, because I I imagined uh, like you know just from the jump like Marcus is the type like you know the your typical pirate all around the realm mm. you know like he's, he's a pansexual type of dude you know he's <laughs> like he's, he's you know show Leland what's up but also <laughs> It was like moving so quickly that I was like, all right, focus on the story. Because there's like, yeah. it is that brain thing of like, oh man, like that's, I think that's the hardest thing is like you build so much like good nuggets and then you also want to honor the story at hand and don't want to like take a step back to do this thing. I, I think we had, I think we had, we were lucky in that. Uh, we knew how many episodes there were and we had a time limit of when it was going to be over. So in the sixth, fifth and sixth episodes, I could see a bunch of people and, and myself included being like, oh, it's almost over. Uh, what does sacrificing myself look like? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. how, how, how do I go out with a bang? Um, and so for, for, for that advice, because in a long-running campaign, you don't have those moments, I would try to get in the mindset of like, what if this is your very last uh, session and then go with that like what do, what would it look like for me to sacrifice myself for the good of the the others um, and see what kind of answers you come up with try and I know because Lilith winds up saving Effink like she was going down and like nope she's not she like gets zapped up by a uh, or no it wasn't Effink who did you save with the it was, with the spider web oh there was a I forget which battle this was in there was there were a couple bat Lilith saved a lot of people yeah she <laughs> saved a lot of people yes I can't remember in the end the violence Whips, the, uh, yeah, the vine whips, the but whips. someone was falling, and you were like, there no, was, they're not. Well, they're, you just uh, almost got Marcus, but Marcus yeah, still fell away. That's right. But you did save old Pickering, thank God. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> um, uh, 
for you, yeah. So, so I think that makes a lot of sense. Is knowing yes. timelines. Yes, yeah. knowing timelines. Um, and then if you're if you're really hankering to do something big, think about it as if it is your final stand. Um, and and even if it's not the end, um, you're going to do something. Maybe you'll die, but but argue. Like I've just seen it happen so often. Of like, the other players will not want you to die. Mm-hmm. So you will go do this grandiose thing, and then you still won't die. So you will still have that memory and that legend. So, and I think that to respond to that, and then I want to get that answered. I think also that something great about what you just said, Amy, is putting when you take a big swing. You're like my character jumps into the vortex. They put the crown on their own head. They use the artifact they've been trying not to use. Whatever. That there is a certain amount of surrender. That in these moves, you're like, hey. I don't know if this is going to work or not. It's the I, part of your brain when you're jumping off a cliff into the water, not off a cliff to yeah. your death, but like, you know, those big, long... Yeah, uh, jumps. Yeah, jumps. Um, and it's the part of your brain that you feel it turn off because every part of your body is like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And then you just have to somehow turn that, like flip the switch, and then you're jumping, and you know it's going to be fine. Exactly. I think one thing that really comes up a lot in those moments is what are the consequences in this story? You know, like, I mean, because there will be consequences and whether it is like your your character is saved by the party in this really dramatic way and you have a moment or you I die. I remember, I'm so sorry, you killed the boatman. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. You like zapped him up. Oh yes, you put a web around him. <laughs> yes. Spell. Yeah. It's like I move him ten feet and then let go. Yes, it's like yes. you had so many voids, open voids for me to play around with. Careful with voids. That's my tip for this episode. Sorry to interrupt. No, that was that so, was what happened. So true. Yeah. Oh man, but yeah, the the consequences of your actions, like and like how grand they will be. Because even if it is like your character dies and it's so compelling for the narrative, that's a good thing. Yeah. Because like and, and and a lot of times you know you see if you have these ongoing campaigns like it's hard to take a swing because you know that there are consequences and that's kind of fine too because you know what are are you willing to live with those consequences right in a longer campaign big swings can come fewer and farther between Mm -hmm. because you know we knew we had six episodes Mm -hmm. as you were saying so it's like we want to see conclusion and arc in a home game where you're playing like a couple hours a week and it's going for a while you can you can you know it might up the pace or change it to have those huge swings every episode. Before we move on, I want to address one thing about ships, by the way, because we have a lot of people in the Discord that talk about ships and that rules. I have a theory, and I want to see if you guys will back me up here, um, because we have a lot of people for Dimension 20 that ship our PCs, and so far we've only had PC-NPC romance. We've never had cross-PC romance in a game. And I think that I know the reason for that, which is subconsciously we have an understanding that the other PCs at the table aren't going anywhere. And it's similarly to the reason that you don't flirt with people that you work with because, (laughs) I think this is true, if you flirt with an NPC and it goes south, that person can disappear. Like, I'm never going back to that tavern again. If you flirt with another PC and and the vibe is wrong, all of a sudden, it's like, well, we still gotta fight the nightmare 
Nightmare King. Oh boy. So I think for some of our viewers, if you're like, why don't these PCs ever hook up? I think that even in your home game, you should be very wary about inter-PC relationships because those are the heroes of the story. The narrative camera of this, you can't have a one night stand between PCs or you can, but then you're dealing with the awkwardness of following these heroes. I, consequences, I, I narrative will, consequences. I, I will, yeah, maybe be wary, but if, if it's a thing, if it's gonna happen, like maybe the two people should discuss ahead of time because it can get awkward, but it also can get fun. Yeah. You know, like it can get awkwardly fun if that's the thing, or it can get uh, even more dire if they actually are in love with each other. I've definitely had PC, I have had inter-PC relationships, and there is a lot of trust that needs to happen for that to work, but I think especially in closed campaigns where with Dimension 20 we know how many episodes we're gonna yes. do ahead of time, yeah. I think that there is an element as a player where where if you, let me put it this way, everyone knows they can flirt with Brennan and it's gonna be fine, you know? Yes. Like, that's the dungeon master. Flirting with NPCs is very low risk. I think flirting with and establishing rooms with another PC just is higher risk, which is why you might not see Yes, so risk. let us know if if you're P-sexual or not. <laughs> yeah, I, I, my, I think my own thing is like, yeah, no matter which path you go down, I think it is the one thing I would want is just you to honor that move you made. Uh -huh. Because I could also see like, you know, PCs hooking up and then just going about the campaign as if nothing happened. It was like, no, y'all gotta have that same tension. I need, I'm gonna need some sass going when you see her flirting with a goblin. I'm gonna need, I want, I want that beef to be there. Like, I mean, that's the thing is yeah. like, there's narrative consequences. Sometimes those are super fun to explore. Yeah. I've been in a lot of campaigns where there have been like PC romances or PC hookups and stuff, mm -hmm. and like you just have to play them out, and that can be fun too. But it's like an extra thing to think about. Yeah. And so for our campaign, since it was so short we didn't have time to like think about anything and oh, yeah. it, also in game it lasts a day i yeah. think it's like in like the time crunch would lasted a day. Yeah, blood keep, so the idea, was, yeah. blood keep was a day. So it's like the idea of all these people being co-workers with each other for millennia and then suddenly within this Just like, day. We got to fuck, we're all going to die. Yeah. I, I, I've been, if, for, ro for romance, there isn't a D&D &D mechanic for it. And I would do, I would recommend not making a mechanic for it because, yeah. because it should be, I've been, I've been, I've been actually in the situation where, yeah, at a table, as a player, guy at a table read me a poem, and the and I was like, I don't know, I'm not buying it. And the DM was like, What? Roll it. Will say this <gasps> is three five, and so I was like. Oh, will say no. Like my answer is no, and he's like the die will determine it, and it was so. Don't make a mechanic. That's yeah, very like, comfortable. Make me. it, yeah, yeah, make it, make it uh, the player's decision. It should totally be narrative, and yeah. I think to the reason I say the coworkers thing is there's a great rule that also is about like why you don't flirt with retail workers, why you don't flirt with bartenders. The rule Power is dynamic. Uh, yeah, the rule is never flirt with somebody who can't leave. Don't flirt with someone. If you're like trapped in an elevator with someone, don't flirt with them. Because if they're uncomfortable, now they can't leave. If I'm bartending, I'm bartended for many years. If I'm bartending and you hit on me and I'm uncomfortable, I work here. I can't go anywhere. So I think that is something to bear in mind about PCs is PCs can't go anywhere. You're in an adventuring party together. So if you're mm -hmm. trying to establish romance, that's a reason that I think some people are that may like, I want PC ships. And it's like, cool, understand how intimidating that is to initiate because, the, because in a weird way, at the table you can't go anywhere. With my characters, they're 
they're killing NPCs, let alone flirting with them. Like my characters are disappearing and vanishing yeah. all the time. I don't have an attachment to just one character, so I think that's why it's lower stakes to flirt with the DM. But yeah. keep shipping everybody. Oh, like, ship, keep ship, ship away. Because yeah. like there Those are guys. some <laughs> undercurrents there and everything. Yes. We won't tell you which ones are canon or not. But <laughs> uh, we actually reveal a potential ship in the BTS footage. I don't know if it's come out yet. Remember the thing I told you right after the last session about the guy? The sp the sp yeah, you actually told him? Yeah, I, oh, that's, that's so that Great. made it into the BTS footage. Oh, that's uh, Go check out the BTS footage. That. Uh, moving on to audience a bit. Uh, guys, uh, if you're watching this on Dropout, congratulations. You're part of, of a very cool uh, preview of this thing. You get to watch it before anybody else. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, you could have watched this weeks earlier over on <laughs> Dropout.tv. Why didn't you do that? Um, and also, the only way to submit questions for this podcast is to submit it uh, uh, on our Discord server, which is only for Dropout. Dropout sub. So thank you for subbing to Dropout. Um, this first one comes from Bowerbird. Thanks, Bowerbird. Thanks, Bowerbird. We're over on Dropout too. They let us on. They yes. let us into the yeah, Dimension Twenty channel. All oh yes, all of you guys yes. can talk to Erica, yeah. Amy, and Ify all over on the Dropout We're Discord. On the Discord. Uh, this first one's from Bowerbird. Uh, kudos to everyone for building and playing such compelling evil characters. Mm. Any thoughts or tips on doing that well? Oh man. So I've been in campaigns where there were evil NPC or evil PCs, and it was just not pleasant mm. just because it's so easy to get self-interested to be selfish it's easy to justify selfishness at the table if you play an evil npc or a, an evil pc but what we did i think was gave all our characters stakes and like sure we're monsters and want yeah. to you know kill all that is good and swallow the light of the world but also we care about family we have these issues like we are grounded in real issues for lilith it was like i came up with the idea of her because you know of uh, Ungoliant in the Silmarillion mm -hmm. she's like so rad and she does all these evil evil things and then there's one sentence about her suddenly having children and then she disappears from the Silmarillion and <laughs> like is lost to the annals of Middle Earth time and I was like that's crappy like I want to see what happened to her after she had a bunch of children um, and so like sort of grounding her with like family and her friendships and mm -hmm. um, and just like the like giving everybody's stories stakes, I think really really helped. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I, th I think it was something we were talking about before the show that evil is is like such is so I guess transcendental. It transcends being a butthole, right? Yeah. Like there's there's being a butthole, and then there's evil and so you you don't have to be a butthole if you're evil <laughs> like, yeah, you, like you can lead an army to swallow the world's men and elves and eagles and still be hungry and not be a <laughs> gaslighting asshole yeah. <laughs> like like you still have natural grounded wants and needs um and and to be into acknowledge that being part of a council is better than being on your own uh but you just are also evil yeah, I think uh, the the way I kind of like visioned it is first off and foremost, I want to point out that the way that you were saying your last evil campaign went would have actually serviced the finale that Brendan originally won. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay, so we have a uh, moment where you tell, did you tell people? What yeah, you thought that's in the BTS footage. I thought the last battle, Olag and Hobbert and Fraud, none of those guys were supposed to come back. The last battle was supposed to be PvP for the crown. <laughs> 
egg on my face that I thought six bad guys might do bad stuff. I thought that might happen. But we all love yeah. each other yeah. in the name of evil. It's, it's, I know, it's so funny, and I think, you know, it definitely comes from the elements of comedy within Bloodkeep, but there also is, like, you know, when you, if you truly shift the POV, if you truly, like, shift the POV the way we did, then we wouldn't present ourselves as evil because we're just we just have a difference of opinion you have the one people who thinks that the realm of uh, men and elves should live freely and you have another set of people who believe no they should die and, <laughs> uh, and I think that's what it came from is that we were grounded but like all in all like we are like searching for a common goal and so that allowed it, it, like I think when people think evil they just think you know it turns into the purge very easily like what are some things that I would never do that I want to do and I think yeah it's not vice yeah. Yeah. it's evil yeah. and and you set it up so well Brennan because it's not just evil it's the, the biggest failure of all evil ever and that's where we even begin yeah. so we're already you know regardless of what the good people know we are the underdogs just fighting to just get a, a, st- a holding ground yeah. once again that's being the underdog Dogs was a huge step, and yes. there was just so much party cohesion because we had these say these shared goals. Yeah, I think these characters. Funny to, to echo Trap here, but when he says in Episode Five, I think the best thing that ever happened to us was falling out of the sky. That's kind of an element of truth to that. So first of all, I'll say to number one. Cracking an evil campaign is really hard, and I think this campaign would be totally different if uh, Zalnaj doesn't have his crown destroyed and blow up. Because watching bad guys dominate is no fun at all. Yeah. Because I, and literally the whole impetus for this thing was thinking about an evil campaign. Because I was like, I was basically like, there's a bunch of people, you guys, Matt, that are like my favorite D and D streamers and players, and I was like, if we can get them to come play a game, I want to use their voice acting chops and their comedy chops to do something a little bit more high fantasy. Like our first season was sort of high school AU. And this one I was like, no, I want to set it in a real fantasy world, but what's a funny comedy for that? And I was like, ooh, like evil PCs is fun. But it, but it's never actually, I've played characters that are evil and when they're actually going around being evil, you start to feel bad. You're like, I don't want to like murder innocent people. This yeah. sucks. So it's like, okay, when are bad guys at their most relatable? And immediately I was like, bad guys are at their most relatable right when they lose. I don't care who you are. I know that the Galactic Empire is evil, and I want them to lose, but the very second Luke shoots the torpedo in the exhaust port and I see that they've lost, part of me goes, that's a fucking raw deal, man. Like, <laughs> that was a lot of work yeah. they put they, in. They put a lot of work. And like, they lost on some bullshit. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. same with Lord of the Rings. It's like, come on, Frodo and Sam, you can do it. And the ring goes, and blam, the, the tower falls, and you're like... Some fucking loophole Hail Mary bullshit. There was no military strategy through any of it. (laughs) Well, I think one of the times I felt this recently is I was playing Far Cry New Dawn and it's a and I played five, so I was like really attached to the story, and then New Dawn you have these twin sisters who are part of this like essentially like evil collective who are taking over the post apocalyptic thing. And they're doing heinous shit through the whole game. Like I it's really good writing for me because I hated them. But there's a point at the end like before you fight them and and they do a flashback to like when 
they were kids and just kind of you kind of learn that like their dad had this like dog eat dog world like you know the the strong survive and this is the post apocalypse and they kind of like left their mom behind and mom was like don't be your dad and then you go you do this fight and you see the twins. One twin dies. Sorry, this is also spoiler for wow. you. Wow. Uh, but it's been out for a while. So, uh, <laughs> but like, you know, you, you, like, the older, like, the older twin is like, you don't get to die before me. Like, and like, it's this real touching moment. And I was like, man, I've hated these people the, the whole game. And right now, I feel for them. And, um, and it kind of took me back to like, and kind of the inspiration for Marcus and one of the kind of best advice in storytelling and writing I um, I saw is like a a good villain is just a hero who goes too far like oh. and and like it really is like you know someone who truly believes in their means and will do anything hurt anyone to make it happen i think that's why i mean okay uh you might as well just mute till you see me stop talking but <laughs> like when you see uh you know a certain dragon princess in uh a certain hbo <laughs> fantasy and people got real mad when i was like oh i knew from the beginning she was bad because anyone who who seeks to do good with the intention to rule is like you are not truly good you've liberated at these towns because you want support for you to rule like you cannot you it is just like it's almost as if you like freed some slaves and then created some type of prison institution that would keep them uh, enslaved for different reason and bullshit laws that you came up with it's <laughs> like you got rid of slavery but you never got rid of it uh, like that's kind of how I felt with uh, Daenerys like I was like there's something to and also just her like uh, her like I was sit Game here. of Thrones right yeah. <laughs> like, like, but there is something to like, you know. That's a, but that's why I felt she was a good villain is because you want someone who's righteous who can like get you on their side. Because when you're just like, I want to kill everybody because that's the bad thing to do. That's not a good villain. But if you're like, I'm going to take down Wakanda and kill all of the, the white bad, people the other, in the world. Yeah. You're like, oh, I see why you want to do that. I just don't want you to do that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, while you're describing Daenerys, it does make me think we weren't any of us with Daenerys. Our Daenerys got killed, so we were the Missande and the Grey Worm, yeah. like, of the party, which meant that we we were like, yes, we support, we support, oh, sh now we have no idea what to support, yeah. we can't make any decisions. So it's, it's ultimately, it was... Yeah, it was it was a really really interesting dynamic. I love that, it, and I I love everything you're saying too because I feel like number one, what I love about the the moral of Bloodkeep is that these are all bad guys. Evil by the end of the six episodes is actually a better version of evil than evil was at the beginning. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, listen, we are intent on destroying the forces of life. We're going to do it democratically, <laughs> and we're going to support each other while we do it. Yeah, <laughs> you know? like, it's true. It's like, which honestly, there's a part of me as like a philosophy-minded person yeah. that I'm like, you know, it'd be better if there was no evil in the world of Elna, but. It actually is a small win that evil is slightly better than it used to be. Like, yeah. I'll take that. And the second thing I will say, too, for people that, that are, because we've had some interesting questions about sort of the morality of Bloodkeep. And I will say that if you're looking for, for like deep, logical, and logistical mor morals in Bloodkeep, you have to remember that this is a comedy. And what I mean by yeah. that is this show is very much in, like, like, you will find no one that supports real life villains less than me. 
villains are bad, punch Nazis. What I'm saying though is, um, this is in the vein of Adam's Family. Yeah. This is in the yeah. vein of comedy, and I think that we tread a line that Adam's Family also treads, which is, the ways in which we are monstrous are so cartoonish. Yeah. And as we get more grounded in human, you see that we're actually good. It's the yeah. way that, like, for kids' shows, you're not allowed to write something that a kid could actually feasibly do. Um, so that's why Peter Rabbit. Uh, when they were like, oh, he's allergic to blueberries. Have some fucking blueberries. That was really s sought. That was that was seen as terrible because a kid could hear allergy and be like, oh, they're allergic. That means I throw that thing at you and yeah. actually cause damage. So, but it, but and this is Peter Rabbit where it's all farce and whatever. But yeah, slingshotting an actual human person like through a window so that it bowling balled into you know the cliff that just happened to be and some briar pat whatever. It's like yeah, okay, like yeah. any cartoony or like a huge huge weird hammer oh, that no one could actually even lift you can write that kind of yeah. stuff I, I would also even argue that even though like from our POV it does seem like man this is a good version this is a good version of evil if we were to flip the POV and have the forces of light look at what we've done it would be terrifying to them. There's like yeah. these, the, the evil guys are now more organized. They have a <laughs> system. They are listening to each other. They're probably not going to have some deus ex machina item that you can throw <laughs> into the lava. Like the evil is stronger. And I think that's why I mentioned, like, I think it's fun to see point of view because you, it's like movies when you are like following the bad guys, like, uh, you know, like a despicable me, like he is like a evil dude, but it's like, Oh my it's gosh. Cute. John Wick, a yeah. murderer. Oh, yeah. Well, like, go, go, yeah, yeah. go. He's a straight-up assassin. Like, there was a moment where, like, at the top of John Wick when he's fighting these guys, and it's funny because I could tell it's been a while since I've seen the last John Wick because I was like, oh, man, these guys are just following orders, so he's probably going to, oh, no, he's murdering every single one of them and the leaving no prison. There, there were a, was a lot of murdering of perfectly innocent people in our campaign, oh, yeah. but we drew the line at, like, lies and sexual harassment. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's, my, that's my point. Is that you, is is that I think the 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 comedic logic of, your, of if you're at home scratching, you're like these six characters are villains. Why am I rooting for them? Is because there actually is a metaphysical, almost philosophical <laughs> joke over the whole thing, which is we are all monsters and demons. But again. There's a certain line, and it's a fuzzy yeah. line. There's a certain line where it gets day to day enough where we become good. Like oh, yeah. we are kind to our friends. Oh, we yeah. do not gaslight. We are not emotional abusers. Yeah. We we gas each other up. We don't gaslight each other. Yeah. And uh, uh, and then we, we use sensitive nomenclature. Sensitive nomenclature. So it's so that is we apologize. <laughs> In the same way that you're like you're like oh the Adams family are chopping each other's hands off and they have guillotines and weird stuff. But like Morticia and Gomez are deeply they are in love. Couples oh, goals. Yeah, yeah oh couples God. goals. So I think that you can like you can't find a real world moral logic in Blood Keep, but yeah. you can find a comedic logic oh, yeah. that that reinforces why we love our vile villains so much. Yes. Um, I'll go. This oh, this is uh, uh, this is from Rain Solo. Thanks, Rain Solo. Hey. Uh, who is and very important parentheses was because a lot of people died. Uh, who is slash was your favorite NPC and why? Mm. And you know, definitely going to be Avanash for me. Like I, I feel like they really did cut down how much we were laughing 
<laughs> when you wanted to protect your bones. And <laughs> there's just like one of my favorite like uh, kind of things in comedy is when someone is saying something so wild, so insane, but in a just totally calm voice as if it's normal. And like just the just that whole beat and back and forth, it just was I was just dying the whole I time. Just, all of your NPCs were so fantastic in any game that I played that is just like they come the most alive for me and so like the kids just like having that moment like I never cared so much and the, the problem was is that for the summons those kids the, they were supposed to be the summons and like normally yeah. when you're a Jew it's like there's these spectral animals or whatever and you just throw them out there until they get vaporized but it was my kids it was my kids and so we cared so much and there's that moment where Jason falls and we all were we're gonna cry <laughs> and then he came back up and it was just the biggest roller coaster so I loved the kids but yeah we you must have left some stuff on the cutting room floor of us laughing about Avinash because I just I remember crying at the table I was laughing yeah. so much I but remember being we convinced we had to solve this fucking riddle like <laughs> this man knew something and he was hiding it and we, the if we just is, saved his bones like, we would knew. all be enlightened I knew like storytelling wise the right move was to just go back to the blood keep and have him do the crown and like see what happened but just we could not get over the bones yeah. like yes. we could not let it yes. go like, oh yeah that was it's just not the, something the, I was he was let go. so like it, it was so specific it was so specific and the delivery was so good that i just we just got hung up like yeah. in world on that pc you just, want me to, you just want me to drop a crazy thing right now yeah. you were never supposed to find avanash you were never <laughs> supposed to get to the blood can i tell you this is this is actually this is a real true behind the scenes peek at what's going on in my head while i'm dming and what all dms are doing in their head while they're dming I knew that the next fight, because we pre-make our sets for Dimension 20, and this is what I mean by the fact that like the my games are never on railroads, but I do have to hit these battle sets. So it's this weird mix of like honor everything PCs do. Also, I have to figure out how to use these thousands of thousands of dollars set that Rick and his whole team and the whole production yeah. of the show is like making these sets. So I'm like, so here's what I did. I saw uh, Matt do his thing where he's like, I roll a nat 20 on this Arcana check. I know the next fight has to happen on the siren. So what I do is I say, there's a guy in Karadkar who knows how to make a crown, thinking Marcus is going to jump on his stone, call the siren for you guys to go to Karadkar, oh. and the fight's going to happen on the siren. And uh, and who knows if you'll ever make it to Karadkar once the fight on the siren starts. Maybe the ship survives, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it survives, but only enough to land the ground for repairs who knows right um uh so uh, uh i'm like great got it and then old lilith <laughs> goes oh i've got an infinite distance teleportation spell we can all go and that's a moment as a dm where you get to say what you're really made out <laughs> because because uh because an amateur dm will go no the game's called escape from the blood keep i'm not gonna let you escape from the blood keep yet or you go huh well, fuck me. <laughs> and you fully improvise a place you never intended to go, the things that are there, and an entire character named Avanash that you pull fully out of your butt. 
just right there. Um, so that I, whole I, bones I, thing. I remember he was pulled out the river, not your butt. <laughs> <laughs> he was out the yeah, river. And, and the fact that, like, yeah, we were just obsessed with that. Oh my that gosh. Dude. I, I, my bones. favorite NPCs are, are coming a package deal, a little bit of combo meal. If we're the A team, my favorite NPCs are the B team, and it is the the I can't remember their goddamn names, but but boner torturer, uh, <laughs> the door the door dudes, Hubbard and Fraud, uh, yeah, yeah Ipskicks, Master Ipskicks, yeah, Hubbard. Master Ipskicks, Hubbard and Fra- Fraud. This yeah, the door sweet. daddies and uh, and the last one, the guy who, who just wanted to, Olag, Olag. yeah, who just wanted to die. That <laughs> was so. I did of, not expect him to be such a thorn in our side. Yeah. He just. Oh really? Coming. You didn't from the literal first interaction you ever had with anyone. <laughs> this guy <laughs> is up your butt so hard. <laughs> oh yeah, Olag hated Marcus. And he hated Marcus. So he's like fucking contractor comes in and he's. Like I have devoted my life yes. to. Uh, <laughs> I like the idea too that you kept killing him and bringing him back less intense. Oh yeah, yes, let I some did. steam off. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Olag was not. Olag was an optional villain for the siren fight. Like I was like, oh, like we'll see how they're doing after the volcano. You guys were actually doing pretty well after the volcano, so I was sort of like, okay, because I knew there were going to be like I I knew. How how intense things were going to be. So I was like, maybe after the volcano, I'll throw Olog in on the Goblin War Zeppelin. He'll show up. He only showed up in the last fight because you guys spent all of episode five being like, whatever we do, we do together. <laughs> and I was like, once again, fuck me. So I need to make this last fight. I'm like, because here's the thing. Again, Eat it, Brennan. An amateur DM would get you guys to the to the Fountain of Blood and go, I don't care that you're all friends. Um, it's PvP. You all have to kill each other because that's the rule. Knowing that it would be so upsetting and so fucked up and not fun at all. So... That's a last-minute move where I, as the DM, go, go. I'm well within my rights to have the spirits of ancient evil say only one can claim it. And then what happens is you guys go, cool, we're not going to fight. We're going to pick one of us. And then I go, "Mm, the spirits tell you you have to fight. Yeah. Bullshit. Yeah. Change your world on the fly. The best advice I can give, change your world on the fly. No, make it different. It doesn't have to be the way you thought it was going to be. Make it something that your PCs will love. I've had I've had a bunch of a bunch in in games. Characters will be like, oh my gosh, that. The one where oh they're sleeping together and like immediately you're like what the f- where did that know there uh, and then immediately you just have to be like yeah that they're, rules. they're fucking yeah <laughs> like yeah you're you're right and that somehow makes sense and I didn't think of it but yeah like and it's like if you if you want the players to be invested in the world let them write it like let them have a yes. say in like what actually yeah. is true I love that um, this we only have time for one more this last one comes from our. Uh, beloved Rick Perry, Woo! the maestro yes! himself, um, uh, uh, our head of art. Um, for the cast, did playing in the D20 show environment affect you differently from other games or shows you've played on? If so, how so? Absolutely, and I definitely want to shout out Rick and the art team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sabrina, cool. Max, Shane, Nate, all our awesome artists. Incredible sets, and and that was what was wild, and, and we discussed this too, about what Dimension 20 does that we've never really gotten to do since we were all on live shows that just happen and are happening in real time, is you all leaned into the production value. So having these like vast sets that you could cut to and then show the, like like the the web coming out of Lilith or the uh, the top down of of the uh, the gravity 
flip and just having sort of this set, everything, this like ecosystem and and everything laid out was something that I'm not used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was wild. And yeah, again, shout out to the team for the for the minis. So yeah. the minis that they worked on with Hero Forge, uh, and shout out to the Hero Forge team. Um, Hero Forge. Uh, mm-hmm. Tegan, I know, and Bev and Margaret all worked on the Lilith one, which was like custom made Woo. for the show. Uh, and just having it all sort of come alive and being able to, to let everybody else see that too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. That, that's what I'll say is like, I'm trying to, you know, think, because I'm not trying to diss anyone uh, accidentally or throw any shape, but I think this is the first. RP show, live RPG show I had that had like full sets. Actually, the Gauntlet does that too. Uh, but like, there is something about seeing like your environment because you can, you know exactly what you can do. Like, I think seeing the rickety chain fence above the lava with the elves on them really made it easy. Go like, oh, that's the one I pulled down. Yeah, and yeah like, you know, actually, that it came yeah. into play is like we would only get the guys that would be flipped when yeah. you flipped the set. There's a huge thing. I totally agree with you. And I think that there's a, there's an attitude. And I love theater of the mind combat, oh, yeah. too. For a lot of people, that's great. What I will say is this. There is an attitude amongst some people that using either battle mats or using like a, a roll 20 screen or actually having like built sets is like less chill and more crunchy it is more work but it is actually i would say more chill for your players because it's doing the work of creating this spatial stuff and it's inspiring you to look at chains to look at this thing and say what is that can i use that yeah. like for me it's so much more chill to not have to ask how many can I get in my yeah, fireball? Exactly. Yeah. And also, yeah. I think. Am it's, I 60 feet away now? Or, yeah, or do yeah. I need to? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like it also helps with that trust thing because, you know, like we all trust you. It was like, I, if we didn't have a set and, like, you know, Bryn's like, you stepped on a dick monster, I'd believe him, you know? <laughs> but, like, it, but, like, in, in these, like, <clears throat> newer, younger groups, there is, like, when you're doing theater of mind stuff, there is that, like, thing in the back of your mind where you're like, is, am, am I out of range? Like, yeah. you know, and then also like if everyone, you know, and I think both ways are great. Just I want to establish that. But there is that like heavy lifting of like we're picturing different things in our head if we're going theater of the mind. If you're like you enter a room, there's some spikes at the end of it and there's, you know, one large door and there's like a pile of bones here. Like as you explain it, also just it's hard for you to do the math in your head unless you're looking at it on I, us. I know for a fact that there were some specific RP moments that wouldn't have happened if we didn't have those sets. Like, yeah. Reka looked at the chains and she was like, oh, can I pick up that chain? And that's how we got, like, the elf balloon yeah. and everything. And, like, looking at that caldera with the lava and everything was just, like, real. Everybody's like, oh, this is how we're going to play yeah, the battle. Yeah, some Looney Tunes, uh, like, stepping. Yeah, like, stepping across over the closet. Yeah. The closet. And being able to eyeball the battlefield and right. go, that's feasible. And, like, yeah. also the boatman. He wouldn't, oh, yeah. you might not have, like, described the boatman enough to, like, Peak somebody's oh, interest. Oh yeah, but yeah, as you're looking, you're like, you're who's like, not being attacked? Oh, that moment. <laughs> oh, yeah, and seeing the pieces of the floor fall away was honestly anxiety-inducing. <laughs> yeah. The other, the other way, like this, uh, affected me differently than other campaigns is I like we're all adults now and we have lives and we don't. I I am unable to play D and D like I did in college, where it was 
every day, <laughs> you know, for hours and never ending. And like we all fell asleep at our stations and then woke up and did it again. And this was, uh, you know, obviously like we're professionals, but it, it meant more than that. Like, like this felt like something I would do anyway. And it was like a forced way to make us return to that time where we could yeah. play for two solid days straight with as much, like as much enthusiasm as we all had for the game. And, and yeah, really just dive back right back into like the, my real memory of what D and D is. Yeah. I hadn't gotten to play D and D on my own for fun for years since like before I was doing all this and this felt like that again. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, that makes my goddamn <laughs> year, my life. I love that. This is the best game in the world and playing with you guys was an absolute honor, a joy, and a treat. Yeah. Guys, this has been Adventuring Academy. We hope you've had fun and learned some stuff too. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you guys next time. Bye. Bye. This has been a Dropout Podcast. For video of today's show, plus more exclusive series, go to dropout.tv.